hold of the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me. What's going on, guys? Welcome, Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number 61. Count them. Getting up there again. Almost surpassed the total of the old podcast, Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. If you're watching live, thank you so much. If you're listening after the fact, awesome. I appreciate all the support. Lots of you guys have been with me since Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Now, Hockey to Hell and Back. And you guys have no idea. I know I say this every episode, but you guys really have no idea how much it means to me from where I was at to where I'm at now and where I want to go. Without your support, none of this would be possible. From the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, before we get going, as always, there's a couple things I want to cover. I want to give a very special shout out to Zach Bell at Always Hockey. 
uh, up here in Muskoka. I see him all the time. I've become friends with him and stuff. Well, one of our young puck support warriors, Landon Curry, who's become one of my little buddies over the past six, seven months, however long it's been. Uh, he's a huge Zach Bell fan. And the Curry family uh, came up here the other day. There's a picture uh, which was awesome to see them. But I reached out to Zach and I said, hey, we got Lando coming by. You think he can stop by and, and say hi? And he's like, no problem. I'll be right there. Shows up with a sign stick uh, for Landon. So thank you, Zach. You certainly didn't have to do that. And uh, hopefully Zach's going to be on my podcast in the near future as well. Come sit down and share his story. Obviously, he's a social media sensation and a great guy. He went from like here to here with me the other day. Not only that, he grabbed his rollerblades and he skated with us for like two and a half hours. So it was a, a dream come true for Lando and it was just awesome. So thank you to Zach. Thank you to the Curry family for coming up. Uh, and also while we're here, thank you to True Temper Hockey, who is, you know, the major sponsor behind everything that I'm doing. Uh, the skates are in, the rollerblades are in. It's very exciting. We have a problem with, not going to name the courier, but we have a problem with one of the couriers. My sticks and gloves are just gone out of thin air. The tracking number, it's a very, very sore spot with me this last week, but they're getting it sorted out to send some other ones out. But I'm uh, just so grateful for their support. And it, it just goes to show, you know, if you're willing to put in the work and you want to make a change, you can. And I never thought that that was possible. And the, the way that the hockey community has rallied behind me as a whole is something that could bring me to tears if I sit here and talk about it enough. It's it's just simply amazing. And there's a lot of moving parts to that and a lot of people that contributed to that. So thank you to everybody. Uh, but yes, True has their new line launching. Check it out. The new Catalyst hits stores tomorrow. So go check that out. Um, you guys know that every episode we remember those that we've lost. You can see them behind me. The wall continues to grow and there's many more to go on there. And uh, tonight we, we're going to honor another young man who tragically lost his life. I'm not going to get into details, but tonight we're remembering Carter Schoonerward, who was uh, originally a draft pick to the Peterborough Peets um, back in 2018. Most recently was playing with the Stratford Warriors. And uh, very, very, very recently we lost Car Carter. Um, and I just want to send my deepest condolences to the family and to the entire community and the entire Stratford Whalers. And I know there's a lot of people that are hurting. I've talked to quite a few people about this and um, I don't want to go into details because it's not public knowledge, but just know that we're thinking about the Scooter Word family and Carter will never, ever, ever be forgotten here at Puck Support if there's anything that we're, we can do about it. So just thinking about the entire family and to all those that we've lost. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's it's tragic. And these are, this isn't, I don't know. I, I just, I don't have the words. I, I wish I could fix it all, but maybe we can just impact one life and save one life. And that's why I'm really excited uh, to talk to my guests. So uh, I'm going to do one sponsor. We'll get into the intro. And we'll bring in Brenly Shapiro. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play -play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leobold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. 
TeenIssue.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan. Thank you, Jesse. Everyone at Team Issued, make sure you check them out on social media as well, at Team Issued. You guys have seen the show. You know how this goes. I'm, just, I'm dialing back the intros a little bit because I talk way too much, as most people know. So we'll see you guys in a few minutes. A couple weeks ago, over Zoom, I got to meet Brenly Shapiro. Brenly Shapiro has quite the resume, but it's really her personality and her enthusiasm that impressed me. Brenly is a sports psychology and performance consultant, a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist, a certified sports vision trainer. Currently, she is the mental performance coach for the Arizona Coyotes in the NHL, as well as the OHL's Peterborough Peets. And recently, Brenly has signed on to become the mental performance coach for both the men's and women's Chinese national hockey teams for the 2022 Beijing Olympics. I got to know a little bit about Brenly's backstory, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it today. She's been in practice for over 20 years. She has become world-renowned for her work with athletes, teams, individuals, and organizations ranging from amateur, NCAA, Olympic, and professional. She's also the founder of Heads Up High Performance and sits on the expert panel for sports psychology for the Coaches Association of Ontario. She's also a published author and ambassador for Lululemon, Little side note, as you many of you know, my nickname was Lulu my final year of junior because of my donning of Lululemon apparel long before it was a thing for guys. I absolutely love everything that Brinley stands for and everything that she's doing. And when I do a little self-reflection, I really wish I had her on my team all those years ago when I was playing hockey, trying to find my way and struggling with my own mental game and mental health issues. We've come a little ways, but there's still a long ways to go. I mean, there's so much more to hockey than just playing the game or working out in the gym. It's really 90% mental in my opinion. You can have all the skill in the world, but if your mindset isn't right, that skill really has no use in the long term. When I got to hear from Brenly how she ended up doing what she's doing now, it really just blew me away. She started to do this years ago and it's groundbreaking. Well, that's enough for me. So without further ado, let's bring her in. My new friend, somebody that I'm really inspired by, Brenly Shapiro. Settle down, let it settle down. There's your song. What's going on, B? How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing well. And before we go any further, I know it's Shapiro, and I keep catching myself saying Shapiro. I think it's because I watched watched too much baseball when I was in jail with the Toronto Blue Jays. There was a Shapiro, and oh my goodness. So I apologize, everyone. No I know that, and I'm sitting there listening to him. I'm like, why? Why? But anyways, thanks for being here. It's such a pleasure to be here. And you know, you made fun of your introduction, but I have to tell you, I loved it. I don't even know how to top that. It was actually awesome. It was it was full of everything. It had uh, some fun, some inspiration. Uh, it was touching and it also had some hope. So I love that. So thank you for having me. And I'm excited to be here and chat with you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really my pleasure. And, you know, I just think back to when we chatted on Zoom a couple of weeks back and just your story is is so captivating. It's it's one thing to uh, just jump in this field because you want to or whatever, but you really have like a backstory of why, you know, the why of 
where you were at and why you transformed into this. And I'm just, I would love for you to just, you can talk for this whole time. I don't even need to talk. So feel free to just keep talking or whatever, but because it's such a cool story right from your, you know, your first day of school, Brendan. All right. Well, you're kicking me off with the first day of school, Brady. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll go there. No, that's okay. You're you're going back a long ways, right? So, um, yeah, you know, for me, I just ever since I can remember, I loved the game of hockey. Like I just had a passion, loved it, always wanted to play it. And I didn't have the opportunity when I grew up to be able to play the game. And so um, my very first most distinct memory was first grade. And I remember the day, it was first day of school, you know, I was nervous and excited and I went to school and I made my first friend and uh, went into the class. And I remember the teacher, you know, was going around the room and asking the big question, like, what does everybody want to be when they grow up? And I was super excited. Like I knew my answer. I was anxiously awaiting my turn. And it finally got to me and I stood up from my desk and I announced to the entire class that I wanted to be in the NHL. And um, my excitement quickly faded when the entire class started laughing at me. And they basically told me that, you know, I could not do that. That was a ridiculous thing to say. And I was a girl, I would never be in the NHL. Anyways, fast forward a number of years. Um, you know, I always had a passion for hockey, passion for sport. Um, and I also had a real passion for helping people. And so, you know, as I went through my schooling, I ended up going into psychology and then did grad school. And I actually started out in a general counseling practice. Um, and to be honest, it was through my own kids experience in sport, right? And so when I had kids, I had two boys. So, of course, you are going to guess that they're going to be hockey players, right? So uh, they both played hockey and um, I started to really see things differently, like through their eyes. And I saw this game that I loved so much, but I also saw a tremendous amount of stress um, just within the whole world of hockey and the pressures and the expectations that are being put on kids, just in all sports in general. Like, and I, you know, I started to think to myself, like, sport is supposed to be amazing. I mean, I grew up and I loved it and I was so passionate about it. And I was just seeing sad, stressed out kids like everywhere. And so it really got me thinking, you know, how can I help my own kids be great? How can I help them thrive in this world that I was so excited and so passionate about? Um, and then how can I help other people thrive? And so it really kind of got me on this path of um, blending what I did as a, as a, psychotherapist with the world of sport and performance and it just grew out of a passion to help people and to put those two worlds together and when I finally did that you know I left my traditional counseling practice many people thought I was crazy you know and what did I do I just kind of took a leap of faith and I opened up an office in a hockey rink um, and some days I kind of sat there and thought to myself like oh my god what did I just do but really, it was, you know, when I, when I just went for it and put those two worlds together for me, like my passion for sport and performance and what I did, that was it. It just kind of, you know, with some patience and perseverance and a lot of hard work, it just kind of took off and it grew and it grew and it grew. And what I really started to realize that I, I filled a need, like a void yeah. that was missing, right? Like there was such a need. And it was amazing over time, you know, I think I probably had a three to four month wait list like to get in and see me because, it, it, you know, 
I, th I think there's there's two worlds, right? Some that embraced it right away and some that didn't, um, but definitely filled a need and, you know, just grew from there and started to bring in more people to work under the umbrella and the company and um, just, yeah, kind of grew from there. That's, that's my story. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool story when I think about it, because what year was that, that the, the initial time when you took that leave and you're like, hey, I'm going to open up this office in hockey room. What year is that? It was probably around 2007. Okay. Yeah, 07, 08, somewhere in there. And and like to my knowledge, anyways, like nothing that I, and I'd been to a, I've been to a lot of rinks, not so much in the past ten years, but growing up and everything else, I'd never seen anything like that. Had you heard of anybody else doing something like that? Was there somebody that inspired you, or was this just, hey, I'm I'm really just going to try to be groundbreaking here and do this? Yeah, I think now you might see it a little bit more, but when I did it, yeah, um, yeah there wasn't really anybody doing it, so. Um, yeah, I feel like it was somewhat groundbreaking. At one point, I felt like I was kind of on an island by myself. But I think, look over, you know, fast forward all these years, um, I think there are people doing it. And if you looked hard enough, you'll find people that, you know, might be bold enough to have an office in a hockey rink. But um, I think you can find it now more so. Well, I, I sure hope so. Because, you know, I just, I watch you on Instagram and your videos and things and, like the way that you're able to just break things down when we talk about fear and different things like that to me resonates um, not just with hockey, but let's say hockey per se, like my whole life was based on fear of failure, fear of judgment. What if I do this and I don't fit in or I'm told no, or I'm not good enough. So I just shut down and I just yeah. want to say thank you for for being there and, and sharing that with not only me, but obviously you have a, a pretty big following as well, because I really feel like that's a part that is, is missing. Like we don't in the hockey community, at least when I was growing up, like we didn't talk about it. It was like X's and O's training on the ice and you know, that's it. And, and there's so much more to it, Brenly. There's so much more at the end of the day, listen, I'm a people first person, but it doesn't matter what sport it is. Like, yeah. The biggest asset, it's the people, right? At, yeah. And, you know, even in, in my work the past couple of years, um, I've worked heavily on the draft for the NHL. And my job is to get to know who the person is behind the equipment, right? As, yeah. as a predictor for long-term success, because that you are the instrument that just performs, but it really is all about the person. And, you know, you talk about, you bring up the fear aspect of things. And I think something we fear it so much, but fear is normal. Like it's actually just a normal human emotion, but we're so conditioned in our society to avoid failure or fear of judgment, like whatever fear it is, it's all this underlying fear. And I really believe it's the biggest barrier to success, whatever the fear is, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's important to know that fear is normal. And we can be afraid, and we can do it anyways. And the biggest problem for me is when people don't talk about it. Yeah, because it's just human, right? Like, and so there is this whole thing too in the hockey world is, you know, it's a tough sport, which it is. And, and it's kind of like this all or nothing, like you have to be tough. And if you show this other side, is it a sign of weakness? But it's really just a sign of being human. Like you can be yeah. tough and vulnerable all at the same time. And it just, it makes you human. Right. So how much, 
my, like how much have you seen it like evolve from like 2007 until now with you know the openness for players and and teams to actually want to you know be involved with somebody like you and and to see that this is a huge need um, outside of just practice and weightlifting and that like where where have we evolved? I think it's evolved a tremendous amount. Like it has grown so much. Um, you know, when I started, obviously the people that came to see me um, embraced it, but just more and more, it, you know, it's it's being talked about now. That's something that I've seen. Like when I started, I mean, people weren't talking about it. Like I said, I felt like I was on an island by myself. I was preaching it and I was telling everybody it's the next wave of performance enhancement. Like, you know, this is it because I always say, you might've heard me say it before, talent is highly overrated. Like you can have all the natural God-given talent in the world, but it's only gonna take you so far. And at some point you're gonna hit a wall. And if you don't have the rest of it behind you, it's all about the person, right? It really, really is. So at least I see now people are talking about it. Like there's a conversation about it. I still think we need to do more and there's more work to be done, but there's some really positive and encouraging signs in that we're having conversations about it even the terms mental health mental wellness in sport like yeah people are starting to acknowledge it and so um i'm just excited to see the conversation and you know when you and i had our first our first conversation i too was just like blown away by your story and the fact that you are coming out there and the courage to be vulnerable like it's such a sign of strength and power to me and um, the ability to share the story. We just need more people like you, right? The more people that can come forward and, and everybody's got a story, like everybody's got a story, right? And the more people that have the courage to share it, the more normal and human all of it become like, and maybe aside, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm just being open and honest. And that to me is the key to why I'm, able to be where I'm at. I just celebrated 17 months. And and that was the number one thing was starting to be transparent and honest and be my authentic self. It doesn't matter the mistakes I made or the things that have happened to me. That's the past. They're there. You can't change it. Mm-hmm. But, just you know, sharing, you know, just that was the initial thing was just being open and honest. And then from that, now, you know, if we can encourage more people to do it, and there's been, you know, I have people that I look up to like Sheldon Kennedy and Theron Fleury and these yeah. guys. So like people have been doing it, but they're still, they they're few and far between. And from the yeah. conversations that I've had, Brenly, like just within hockey players, guys I played with or against or whatever, whether it be on a podcast or even more so like just personal conversations, they're like, you know, I was going through that same stuff. Like we were sitting in the room together and we were feeling the same way, but we weren't able to communicate that and it was just like so here we have this room of young men and junior who are all anxiety riddled like so much anxiety so much pressure they're homesick they're maybe have girlfriends back whatever the case is yeah and they're all just trying to put on a, a mask in that dressing room right. and go out and perform at their best when right right and if we're able to just encourage them to be able to share openly and honest like their performance to me will always go up like 100%. Right. Like, and what you talk about too, Brady, like when they're sitting in a dressing room and you know they're joking around with the guys, like what they have going on on the inside again, 
like that's just human. It's just human. And so the more conversations we can have about it, it is still, you know, I say we've progressed a great, a great distance since 2007. But yes, you're right. We still need more. We still need more conversations because the more people that can talk about it, the more people that can allow themselves to be human, you know, you open up a door for somebody else to do it, right? With every story, there's another story. So the more doors we can open, you know, we continue to build this sort of this momentum and this growing effect to do that. So yeah, I think we've come a long way. I still think we have a long way to go, but at least we're having the conversations now, which is, you know, just really powerful. And all the things you talk about, you know, young players, this one might have a fight with his girlfriend. This might might have family problems. This one's dealing with anxiety. This one's dealing with something else. They're just all human. They're literally right. being human. And yes, the more you take care of the person, right, the better the performance will be. 100%. And that's to me what's lacking in, at least in my experience, was the the and I this I can't say for everybody that I was involved with on a you know coaching level and this and stuff because I know it's a business but to me it was like when you're when you're when you're needed or you're a commodity you're good and as soon as you're not it's like all of a sudden you're alone and you feel like worthless and your whole life comes crashing down around you and all of a sudden I, you know, there's some major mental illness that can sit, set in or, or thoughts of suicide. And we've seen it, yeah. um, players. And I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to uh, in this, this, this last 16, 17 months that have, you know, been to treatment, that have been to jail, that have that that nobody would know. Guys that I played with or against or addiction issues or psych wards or whatever. Like the numbers are staggering to me just from the people that I've talked to. And uh, my question for you, Bradley, is like, what, like, what do you see? Like, how do I word this the right way? Like, what do you see other than fear is like the biggest barrier for players, like in junior hockey? Like, what are we see? What are you seeing is like maybe the, the biggest stressor or the biggest issue that players are having. And the second part to it is, are they, do you feel like they're comfortable sharing that with somebody like yourself? Um, and and what does what does that look like? Like, or is it pretty consistent with the players, or is it kind of hit or miss? Yeah, I think you know it's interesting because I see different things at different levels. So at the junior level, um, I think if you have some, and I mean, I've been with the Peets for a number of years, so I think yeah. that um, there is some trust there. It's all really about building yeah. a relationship, right? It's yeah. about your ability to connect. And trust is going to be the biggest thing for anyone. Um, you know, I keep repeating it, but like I say, anything that they're going through, like it's really hard to say what are they going through because I think they're going through everything that you talk about, right? All yeah. just it's about growing up. And you know, junior hockey player, you, you grow so much, you change, you learn, you're trying to figure out who you even are um, at that stage, right? So they're going through everything, and um, I think if there's a, a space created that's safe for them to be able to talk and to share, um, that's the most important thing. And so you need somebody, you need to create an environment for them where there's trust and the ability to talk about it. And I think that's what makes the biggest difference. Do you, uh, do you think that for the most part, you're seeing players come to major junior and, and they're prepared for it moving away from home. And if so, um, is there something that we can do more as parents or as a hockey community to kind of provide them the 
the right things to guide them so that they are prepared. Because I know that I had a really difficult time moving away from home. I mean, I took leave of absence to come home and then finally ended up quitting because I had so much stuff going on back home. And I'm just curious as to like what you see, like, are these players for the most part ready for it? And how how are they adapting? Yeah, I think there's more we could do. I I think something I've always wanted to do was this help with a transition program, right? From Mm -hmm. minor hockey to junior hockey. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, these kids are forced to grow up really fast. I mean, you're leaving home at 16 years old and, um, and it's tough and there is nobody to talk to. And it's more that feeling like they can't share it. That's the biggest thing. Like it's very normal at 16 years old to be in a billet family and, um, be missing home. Like uh, it's normal. And who can they express that to? Right. Who, who can they do that and with? So I think um, I really believe we could be more proactive with it. I believe that we could, um, you know, even around Bantam or minor midget, midget area, like start to talk if the, if we're, we've got people that are going to be moving on to, you know, junior hockey, like talk about what that's going to be like. And here are the supports, like have them in place beforehand so that they know you can educate them beforehand. Let them know that these are all the things that you might experience. Right. So if they do have it, they don't going to think something's wrong with me. Like, because listen, I, I say hockey's a tough sport and you're expected to have this sort of tough front and um, there it's still there. Like there's still that stigma that if I, open up that I'm going to look weak. And so we still need to break that stigma. And I think educating players as they move from one level to the next that, Hey, these are some of the things that you might experience and they're all really normal. Like, and it's okay. And if it feels bad, here's where you can go and here's what you can do. And here's who you can talk to so that it's already in place when they do experience it and they're not left lost and suffering, not knowing where to turn. Yeah, it's a it's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible feeling to be, especially, you know, just my experience being a couple provinces over and, you know, you're at the rink and it's already stressful enough. And then you got to go home and you're sitting there by yourself and it can it can get pretty dark. And I thought, again, I thought I was the only one that was, you know, going through it. And I come to realize that, you know, most guys, most guys do go through it at, at some capacity. So I was just curious as to what yeah. Know, your your opinion on that was but I mean I go back to your story about you know playing in the NHL and obviously you never played in the NHL but today you know you've carved out a, a pretty cool career where you've actually made it to the NHL so for that that's what that's what I think of that those kids stick that you know like, see you later here I so tell me tell me a little bit about that and and how exciting that must have been because here yeah. you are you know, you leave your clinical practice, you open an office in the rink, and now now you're in the NHL, you're working with NHL players and draft picks and different things. So it's pretty, you know, we had a pretty good conversation about it, but yeah. tell us a little bit more about that, Brinley, because it's amazing. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it is pretty exciting. Um, I think what I've learned through all of it is that really anything can happen. Like, you know, you might be in one place but anything can happen. And we as human beings are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. You know, we kind of beat ourselves a lot. But if you really 
just chase your dreams and work really hard. And you know, that doesn't mean that there's not gonna be struggle along the way. Like failure and fear and all of that is not the opposite of success to me. It's actually part of it. So, um, you know, for me, I started out, I did my thing. It was growing, 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 and then um, started working with teams and more teams. And I think I started with a junior A hockey team. And then um, I got the Peterborough Peets, which I've been with for, I think, five years now. And so that was an amazing experience for me. Like, and I love the Peets. Like, that's, you know, my Peets family. Um, shout out to everybody from the Peets. So uh, it was really a great platform for me. And um, Michael Oak, who is the general manager there, you know, he really was a big believer. And one of the first, I think, in the OHL, like I think I was the first person on staff um, for an OHL team. I think other teams had brought people in to do a workshop here or there, but I was the first one on staff. And um, he really wanted to do something different and to be able to give players support and so it was a really great platform for me to also to learn and grow and try different things. And I started working with the team as a whole on mental performance and team cohesion and things like that. And then, you know, more and more, the guys started coming to me one-on-one. -on -one. And the interesting thing in, at that level is they actually like, those guys like the one-on-one -on -one stuff better than the team stuff, which I was kind of shocked about. And I'll, I'll say the NHL is a bit opposite. They really like the team stuff. Um, they're a bit more hesitant on the one-on-one -on -one stuff. But um, it was a great platform and a great learning opportunity for me. And they really gave me a platform to do whatever I wanted there. And so I just kind of built it over the years and tweak things. And when something didn't work or I fell flat on my face there, you know, it was about figuring out how to make it better. And um, over the years, I think I just I grew something that was really making a difference for people. And so um, had some really good success there with the Pete's. And, you know, then I got a, a NHL opportunity and I started coming in and really just um, doing kind of personality profiling for draft picks. And so I worked very heavily on the draft and getting to know who the person was behind the equipment. Um, so it was a really, it is, it was a bit surreal in the beginning, to be honest, like walking around, you know, I'm kind of looking around the rink, like, what am I doing here? Like, I cannot believe I'm here. And I was one of the first women to sit on the draft floor, like at the draft table. Um, and it was funny because I, you know, I joke with my friends after that I was, I wore a white blazer. And I didn't think about it after. It's like, I already stuck out like a sore thumb there. It was like about 500 hockey men and me. And so I had a white blazer on just to stand out a little bit more. But um, that was really a surreal experience. Stepping onto the draft floor, I do remember I was just kind of trying to contain my excitement. Like I was looking around and I was like bursting, but I was trying to be all cool about it. You know, like, yeah, no big deal. But it was, it was really a pretty exciting moment. Ah, uh, there it is. Yeah, that was my moment. And I, and when I took that picture, by the way, too, I got there really early. Like you can see behind me, there wasn't a lot of people there yet. I was like one of the first ones there. And so I said to somebody like, hurry up, take a quick picture. I didn't even want anybody to see that I was taking a picture. Um, but yeah, it was a great moment. And then, you know, again, it just grew from there. Like I, you know, eventually got an opportunity to sit down and do a full workshop like with the entire NHL team and that went great and you know it just for me it was really about trusting in myself to figure it out 
Yeah. Believe me, like I was scared and there were moments that were really fearful, you know, um, but I just believe that if you stick with something long enough and it's okay to be afraid and you can be afraid and you can do it anyways, you'll figure it out. Like you really will. So I really do. I just encourage, and even what you're doing, like where you started and, you know, where you've come from and what you're doing now, you know, it's, it's amazing when you can have that trust in yourself that, you know, you can get there, you'll get there, that there's some hope, even when things are not in a good place. Yeah, well, it's your story is inspiring. And just before we go any further too, you got we we talked about this, you got to meet one of my longest childhood friends ever. And the first ever guest on this show, actually, my friend Kevin Peterson, who's a scout for the Arizona Coyotes. So yeah. which, you know, it's a small world, right? The small world for sure. Yeah, he has come that 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 guy is, you know, come a long way and, and yes. done something too, where he started off, you know, working, coaching kids. I remember when I was playing pro and he's coaching kids and then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward 10 years and there he is at the draft at the Arizona Coyotes too. So it's just one of those things again, about believing in yourself and, and getting in the right situations and, and working hard. It's, it's pretty cool. I just, it, the hockey community to me blows me away all the time and how small it really is. You know, yeah. it's, uh, um, I want to just highlight something before we go any further, because I, you know, I always tell kids, you know, when I talk to them, even at the young age, like kids who are really aspiring to, um, you know, be major junior NCAA professional NHL players, whatever, you know, how much really goes into scouting, you know, and we talk about you're be being, brought in to profile a player yeah. so I know my idea growing up you know of, of course was you know scouting the stands all they're looking at is how I'm playing right and mm -hmm. that's really not the case of course that's a huge component of it yeah. um, but what are the what are some things that maybe we can do as players let's say mm -hmm. um, to better prepare ourselves for a situation like that I mean at the same time we don't want to fake it or whatever but like what goes into that that profiling experience like, what are the things that you're looking for um, and and how far do they really do you guys really dig deep to get to know somebody because let's be honest when you draft a player that's an investment and then if you sign them yeah. that's now that's a big investment and and you're it's the hopes that they're going to be a lasting part of the organization so they do their homework and I'm sure you do as well yes for sure there's so much that goes into it I mean even when I work with my own players like one-on-one uh, -on -one, um, in my practice you know players get rattled right oh there's a lot of scouts like this pressure I have to do well I can't make a mistake and you know I always tell people first of all you can play the best game of your life and one scout loves you and one scout hates you like I've sat in the draft room right like I mean, I can't tell you what the conversations are like and people are arguing about players and one scout sees it this way and somebody else says, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I see it completely differently. Human factor, right? We're all human. Like we see things differently. We feel differently. And so everybody's got an opinion. And so I really tell players, just play your game because you will never figure out what the scouts are thinking ever. And also another big thing that I like players to know is a scout doesn't watch you one time when they're going to draft you. Like everybody's so worried about one game, like, Oh no, like I've got to play well today. I can't do anything wrong. Well, that's not human. And it's also not the game of hockey. Like it's impossible 
to play the game without with playing scared and and making mistakes and you know you're going to take yourself in the opposite direction from where you want to go um when i was doing draft stuff a couple of years ago our scouts had to they could not even open their mouth about a player unless they saw 12 viewings of a player right like 12 times so it's a much bigger picture first of all not just you know not just beyond the hockey which i'll talk about in a second but even from the hockey perspective like it's a big picture you know it's not one game here or there like when people are scouting you they're going to watch you for a long time they're going to learn more about you because anybody can have a good game one day and a bad game the next so it's much bigger picture thinking even from a hockey perspective and then going deeper than that you know for me i'm looking i'm looking a lot at their mindset because i always say that the mind leads the body so if you're not strong up here or if you're being driven by fear your body will follow in the same way so i'm looking for the mindset i'm also looking for how people manage adversity that's really a huge thing for me and that's why i come back to that talent is overrated because you can have kids that you know NCAA major junior like or minor hockey have gone through you're talented it comes easy to you but when do you learn how to struggle right like i'm really interested in that I'm giving away one of my questions right now, but like yeah. I ask, I, I'll ask people like, what's the biggest adversity that you face in your life? And some people tell me nothing. And believe it or not, that's a red flag for me. Like nothing, like they've had it too easy because listen, if you want to go through junior hockey and you know, like you want to keep going, like it's tough. It is yeah. not easy. And you, I always say you signed up for the hard road. Like it's a hard road. You know, it's a business, it's a sport. You talk about sometimes you're just a commodity, like it's a tough road. And so if you want to go down that road, you got to recognize that you signed up for the hard road. You're going to get knocked down, punched in the face, sometimes literally, sometimes <laughs> mentally. Um, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, you're going to hit that wall. Like it's really, like I say, it's part of the process to greatness. And so I want to know how you're going to handle that. And that's really what I'm looking for, how you manage adversity, what happens when things go wrong as they will. So if it's been yeah. too easy for you, you know, it's, you, you got to know how to handle adversity. So, you know, it's interesting too, because, and I've shared this, you know, there's a, a few players that I know that Andrew Ladd being one of them, who's uh, kind of on the tail end of his career. Now he's played almost a thousand games. He's, um, battling an injury and stuff. He's actually going to be a guest of the show, but I grew up training with him and he ended up, you know, he won two Stanley cups and uh, he got cut from Peewee, Baname, um, junior B, junior A till finally, you know, he got a shot, you know, playing junior A and did very well. And then, you know, made his way and then went to the Vancouver giants, got cut and then got picked up by Calgary played online with Ryan Getzlaff and then all of a sudden he's getting drafted fourth overall and winning the Stanley cup like the next year or two yeah. years later. And so I think of him, like just his mindset after being cut and like, he would just, he believed in himself and he had already had that adversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just look at versus some other guys I know that were like very highly touted that were like first round NHL draft picks that maybe played a handful of games, some of them none, who yeah. never had that adversity. So the you know you bring that up, and I auto I automatically think that it's like when it gets tough, they they might panic and go, 
what the hell is this? This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, their game just goes down. So, it, you know, it totally makes sense to me. That's exactly what happens. You know, we did it. We took an interesting look. I think it was from the 2017-18 season. And we looked at all the players playing and we looked at what round they were drafted in because we're trying to see like based on round who makes it, who doesn't make it. Like, how can we learn more um, when we're looking at draft picks? And we found that the people playing or it was like the first of everybody playing in that we looked at what sorry, what round they were drafted. In. I'm just trying to figure out how to explain this to you. And 39% of players were drafted in the first round. Now, that was the biggest number of players drafted that actually played. Yeah. But think about it. That's the biggest number from draft round. And yet it's in the third, the percentage is in the thirties. Like, yeah, that's a failing grade. <laughs> that's a failing grade. And look how many players you're a first round draft pick. Like you're a damn good hockey player. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them never play. We looked at it. You had to have at least 16 games in the NHL. So you've got 61% of guys drafted in the first round that never played beyond 16 games of uh, the NHL. And then, so first round was the biggest percentage that actually went on to play. Second round next. I can't remember the exact numbers. Do you know that after that, there's a big dip, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. But you want to know what the next biggest number to play after the second round was the undrafted guys. Yeah was the next, after the first and second round, they were the next biggest percentage to go on and have successful NHL careers. And it's kind of what you're talking about. You know, listen, they were undrafted players, and I'm sure that's a devastating day, right? Yeah. But it's really, what do you do with it? Yeah. What do you do with that disappointment, right? Do you kind of blame people? I wasn't good. I'm not good enough. You know, I can't do it. Um, or do you use it to drive you harder? Do you figure out what's not working, what you need to do? Like if you could just hang in long enough, see people don't like that. And it's just kind of our brain is naturally wired that way. Like we love the brain loves what's comfortable and easy and good, right? We love comfort zone. And so what happens really is when things get hard, that's when people back down and, you know, either I give up or I beat myself in that moment And if you could just hang in a little bit longer, right? If you could tolerate the failure, like I say, it's part of the process to greatness because if it was easy, everybody could get there. But most people prefer comfort and ego over discomfort. And so we don't want to do the hard things. We don't want to expose weakness. We don't want to look bad. But, you know, I always ask my guys, are you prepared to look bad in order to become good? Because that's what it takes to be great. Like, if you want to break barriers, it's easy to be good when everything's good. It's a lot harder to figure out how to be good when things are not good, right? So that's why I say talent is overrated. Because when you're the best, yeah, everything feels great. It's wonderful. It's easy for you. It's when things get hard. So if you want to break barriers, right, if you are breaking past where where you're at today, it's got to get uncomfortable. And you're going to have to fail because you're going to have to figure it out. And that's the only way to break a barrier. And most people don't like to do that, right? So we just revert back to comfort zone and therefore you can't really smash barriers. And, um, you know, average is easy, Brady. It's easy to be average. Yeah. It's, what do we, what can we do as, as hockey players, do you think, to push 
past that? Is there things that we can do? Like, I know that you, you guys have a lot of stuff going on. You have, it seems like you have a, so many different facets to what you do now. You've evolved to so many things, but just for this, let's take this for an example. Is there something that, you know, we can do and, and never mind just hockey, just us as humans to get, get past that, to, to keep pushing. Like what are, are there's some tools that we can use? Is it, what is it, Brenly? Do you have an answer for me? Oh, I think, listen. <laughs> oh, I need it. Give it to me, please. I need this answer. You started, you started off, say, I think you said 90% of the game is mental. I always ask people, you know, I'll say it's different for every single person. Yeah. But the average that I hear at the pro level when I'm asking the pro guys, usually at the lowest end, they'll be like 60% to 80%. I always hear about 60 to 80, somewhere in there. I always get goalies tend to be about 10% higher on average. Um, I'm going to come back to the mental game because, yes, you need the physical skill to do what you do, right? Obviously, I mean, hockey is a tough game. You need to be able to do what you do on the ice. But you get to a certain point and everybody can play the game for the most part. You know, everybody's good. And so I really do believe it's, it's what's between here that takes you from being good to great. It's... You know, it's a few things. It's taking care of yourself, your mental health, your mental wellness, and your mental performance, which is also different. Like understanding how do you beat yourself? What are your triggers? Learning the coping strategies. Like when this gets strong, everything will follow from there. Like the mind kicks off the whole thing. So I, you know, it's what I do, obviously, but I really say it is absolutely like you can spend hours and hours and dollar after dollar after dollar training the physical skill. But if you don't get this right, I'm never going to see you access it. So I think that we got to embrace the mental game a whole lot more and we got to train it. Like if everybody's telling me 60, 70, 80, 90% of the game of hockey is mental. Well, why on earth are we not training that part of the game? Yeah. No kidding. And before you go any further, though, um, there's some free tools uh, on your website, mentalgamecoaching.ca. I think there's a free toolkit there as well. But for anybody else that wants to see more about what you guys are doing there, definitely check that out. Um, Tell me a little bit. I know I messaged you and I know maybe it's a you're it's not, you know, with COVID and things, but I'm very captivated by this, this amazing gym that you have that's not like a gym I've ever seen before. And um, I'm really hoping that, you know, through once this is all over and things that it's able to, you guys are able to still keep doing it because I, I think that it in itself has a capacity to really do wonders for, for people in the sport of hockey and not just hockey. So tell us a little bit more about the the gym that you have. Yeah. So, you know, I've talked a lot about my practice and how I, how I started growing. Um, as I was sort of building out the company, I could see the need and I could see like, and I just felt there was so much more potential. And so, you know, I'm always about like, I think I'm a lifelong learner. I just, I love learning every single day. And so I just did more and more research um, because I'm fascinated by the brain, like how the brain works. And um, basically I, I built what we call the mind gym and it's a sports vision and cognitive training center. So also when people say you cannot train hockey IQ, you're wrong. You can train it now today. Why? Because we have this amazing technology, right? So the mind gym is literally, there it is. It's literally a gym to work out 
the relationship between the eyes, the brain, and the body to enhance performance. Um, so what we do in the Mind Gym, it's literally like circuit training, but it's a it's a gym to train your brain. So we have different stations in the Mind Gym. Um, it's all about eyes, brain, body relationship but like we are working the muscles of the eyes to span peripheral awareness so that you can see more of the ice surface we actually exercise the brain to process information at a quicker rate so that the body can output a quicker faster more effective response and when i started it um i did it really for sport performance right like just an elegant performance because if you can see more you can think quicker and you can react a split second faster than everybody else. Like, think about what an edge that could give you in the game. We call it the one second advantage, right? Yeah. So um, I started it for sports performance, like enhancement. But what was interesting, and it just kind of was organic, um, we started getting calls. Like, I think our youngest client was six years old that was having just vision problems. And then we our eldest client we got was 78 years old that was having memory issues. So what was fascinating about it is it can work for everything. Like you're literally training your brain, right? Which is the command center for your body. We don't do anything unless we get a message from up here. So um, the more you exercise your brain, it literally makes you better at anything you do. We, we were finding kids start doing better in school. Like, you know, we, that was like a side effect coming out of it because we were enhancing focus and concentration. And so it really is, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, it's all based on like the science of neuroplasticity that the brain has the ability to change itself and to reorganize itself many times throughout our lifespan. But what happens is we, like I talk about the brain loves comfort so we stay really stuck in our ways. <clears throat> but if you push yourself and you do difficult things, you can change everything. You change pathways in your brain. And so it really comes from a clinical basis from many years ago. It, it originated out of working with um, stroke patients, patients that had strokes that were paralyzed, that couldn't talk. And so they were trying to retrain their brain. And we found like it works for so many things, anxiety, depression, um, when I was training, there was a really fascinating story. One of the stations that we work with, um, the teacher that, that taught me and got me certified shared a story with us about a soldier in the military that um, had a very traumatic injury and experience and had post-traumatic stress disorder. And they tried everything, traditional therapy, experimental therapies, like nothing worked. It got so bad. You know, this this big, strong tough guy and he got to the point where he could not leave his house and they got him on this training and they didn't even know why but I guess it just did something in his brain and it worked so it's really it's really fascinating fascinating it, it's really cool and uh there's a like a two minute video and I just I want people to see this so I'm gonna I'm gonna share the screen I know it's uh, from a couple of years ago let me see if we can let me see if I can bring it up here I think think we can see that there yeah i can see it i just got to press play on it i've never done this before hold on when you go home after the mind gym you feel tired just like you would after a hard workout all the activities at the mind gym pretty much 
I don't know what's slow happening. down the game for you. Uh, it helps you everything quicker. It helps you react quicker. I've never seen anything like the mind gym before. It, it, it really helps you achieve your peak performance on the ice. It's a gym to work out your eyes and your brain. So we have 10 different stations in the mind gym. They're all working to enhance the relationship between the eyes, the brain, and the body. But each station does target a specific focus. So one station, for example, is gonna to work to enhance your peripheral awareness. We have another station that works on the speed at which your eyes can move, focus, and refocus. So that's really where we're working on weightlifting for the eyes, the ability to take in and draw information from all different places. We have a station that's gonna work on memory recall and your brain's ability to take a snapshot of a picture and be able to remember everything that's going on. So as you travel through the different stations, you put it all together, it really becomes a tremendous package that gives you that sort of one second edge, that advantage. The ability to move quicker, be quicker, think quicker, be quicker. They just felt energized and ready to go and they felt more alert. That kind of thing makes me feel we're, we're really doing something cutting edge and, and it's helping people. It's really like a workout for your brain. There's many different activities in there that really work different parts of your brain, just seeing things and reacting fast. I think it's a very new style that's going to grow, especially within the sport of hockey for the future. The Mind Gym is basically a sports vision training center, increasing your peripheral awareness, your reaction and response timing, your cognitive processing, your ability to multitask and do multiple things at the same time. All of that together just helps you to be a little bit quicker, a little bit sharper. And if you're in a sport and you have a one second advantage, that's an advantage that shows the difference between a puck in the net or not in the net, between a good play and a bad play. Pretty cool stuff, Brenly. Like, honestly, that I, I saw that for the first time today, and I was like, wow. And I messaged you, I'm like, hey, can I please come by your mind gym? And you're like, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, I can't do the first time today. Oh, and I was like, wow, I don't know what's going on there. There we go. Um, the first time, yeah, but I was, I'm gonna be away on Tuesday, but I honestly, uh, to me, that is uh, pretty amazing, like, pretty amazing stuff, and Thank you. Wow. It's pretty cool space. It's pretty cool space, and uh, it's pretty cool training. Yeah, it must be. You know, the kids must like. Do the kids like doing that? It must because it's something different too, right? Like yeah. it, you know, and and it. Do they become competitive trying to get get those quicker? And I could just see it, right? I could just see the competitiveness coming in, trying to get react quicker and so focused yeah. and, and fun too, right? But they don't maybe even realize how much is going on inside of their brain as well. Yeah. It's it. you know what it was, I, I kind of fell in love with it when I did it because the traditional sports psychology mindset stuff, I love it. It's just a lot harder to measure. What's amazing in there is that we can measure things and you can actually now see improvement and see change, right? The brain is a hard thing to measure, but um, we can measure reaction timing. We can see the improvement. So it's really exciting. And yes, the guys are very competitive in there. You know, we have a lot of fun. Probably the biggest thing that people say to us, the two biggest things that we hear at any level, like younger, older, is um, it's really hard. So they often will go out of there. They're tired, right? Like their eyes are sore, their head, like they feel tired. It's really tiring and challenging. 
but it's a lot of fun, right? And yeah. um, some of the competitive drive, I don't know if you, the big board, the light board, that's kind of the one machine that really, really drives a lot of competition and everybody wants to beat everybody else's score. So we actually created a leaderboard and um, we would have in age groups and we would put up the highest scores that have ever been hit in the mind gym. And the funniest thing was we had a couple of guys and there was a funny story. We had one guy was an NHL player. And then I had like, I don't know, he must have been 13, 12 or 13 at the time, like a kid. And this kid, he loved the mind gym. I mean, the kid was there five days a week, literally. And so he had the highest score. And then so the NHL guy came in, he's looking at it, he's like, what is this 12-year-old kid has a higher score than me? And they had never met each other yet. But every time they came in, it became this like running thing because on the board, they literally started battling each other on the board. So as the NHL guy, he was like, absolutely, it was his mission to beat the 12 year old kid and then he did it. And then he took the first spot and then the 12 year old kid comes in. He's like, who is that? Like he just took my score. And so he would push to get harder and they actually were never even there at the same time, but they were completely battling each other for the highest score on the. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, I hope, you know, as things start to get back to normal, I hope that you guys are able to continue with that because it takes spaces like that to really you know start to see the effects of like this new age training and and the mind and emotional wellness just mental wellness all of that and, and training the brain and there's just to me there there's just not enough of it there's so much going into ice time and working out and all of this and i don't just mean like people's time go into it money all of it and to me this is a area that should be a greater investment than all of those especially when you get to a certain point like when you get to like you we, you talked about earlier and I, I mentioned all the time like the the difference between players is so minuscule when you get to a certain level i mean we have our great players like mcdavid and yeah. they're just amazing right but, yeah. but there's for the most part like when you get to a certain level it's just like everyone's so good so yeah. what can we do to it's hockey. It's that little bit, that fraction of a second. You're there. You're not there. You react or you don't. And that's the difference between a save or a goal or whatever. Um, so I really hope that, you know, it can, it can continue on. There's a couple of comments that have been coming in. Uh, okay. Loretta says, that is fantastic. My friend Will says that place looks amazing. Wish we had something like that when I was growing up. Landon Curry, who's watching with a kid that I showed in the intro that was up here, he says, "Wow, that place looks amazing. I wish I had a place like that to train my brain." Uh, maybe <laughs> Lando, maybe one day we can make an appearance there. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can get there and and go to the mind gym. Um, just going back, my dad's watching as well. Going back to the numbers about the draft, about the players playing. He said, love those percentage, very similar in the WHL. He's a scout for the Saskatoon blades. So he's, yeah, he's, you know, he's obviously sees the same thing. And, um, you know, I never got drafted to the WHL and I played in five seasons. And the reason why I didn't get drafted is because I quit the U 16 program for exactly what we talked about earlier about f being, I was, scared i was living fear I, I i i pretended to be sick after the first ice time because of fear of failure and being accepted by the other players and everything else when it was yeah. got hard and i was like no i'm sick i can't go back and so i never got drafted i probably would have made that team i ended up making the u17 team the next year which was even harder and everything else yeah. and then you know it's kind of sealed my fate to the whl that way but still like it you know, I just, I think about me as a, you know, I don't know if I was 14 or 15 or whatever, just 
so scared, like lit, like so uncomfortable and didn't know how to process that. Didn't know how to communicate that to my dad or to anybody to even feel comfortable enough to say, Hey, this is what's going on with me. And, and if we're able to do that and then, and then to have the support, if my dad would have known, he probably would have been able to talk me into it. But by me saying I was sick and everything else, he wasn't gonna be like, Hey, get back out there. You're sick. But if I would have been comfortable with dad, like I'm not, you know, he would have had the opportunity to encourage me or to say, Hey, you know, like whatever, or to whoever. And so I think it's, it's a very important lesson for, for kids to hear that it's normal that you're going to go through that. And it's okay to, to share that with someone you trust or whoever, so that you can, you know, start to achieve greatness. I just, man, I just think to myself that that 14 year old boy, like I was just like, Nope, this isn't happening. I'm sick. Sorry. Um, got another comment too. The mind gym looks amazing. What a smart way to engage players. I, I totally agree. Um, before I let you go, I, I, you know, we've been going on over an hour. I know you're at your cottage right now because uh, that's where you were the last time, um, which isn't far from me, actually. Um, actually, where I used to live is very close. But tell me a little bit more about your book here, um, you know, Fear, Fearless, Inspiring Greatness from Within. And, and you know, tell us a little bit about that because I'm going to read it and I hope I can get a signed copy. I'm going to buy it and bring it and you can sign it. But tell yeah. me a little bit about the book and and what the process of writing a book was like, because I'm kind of looking to head in that direction. Well, it was definitely a learning experience. That's the first thing that I'm going to tell you. Um, and, and you know, we've been talking a lot about it, and, and thus the title of the book, Fearless. It's, it really stemmed from just everything that I see, sport, business, life, that fear is the biggest barrier for people. And it really is about that. I can be afraid and I can do it anyways. And that's why I wanted to put that book out there because we allow fear to stop us, even like you're talking about that 14-year-old boy. I mean, even think about how little, little kids, they, you know, maybe it's the first day of school or they're worried about something, they have a tummy ache, right? They're nervous. And so they are sick, right? See, the brain wants comfort. And so often when we're stressed or worried about something, your brain and your mind is doing what it thinks you want it to do. That 14-year-old boy that was not feeling well was just trying to get out of the discomfort of having to face what he had to face, yes. right? And so that's really where the whole concept of the book came from. That, you know, for me too, like I'm, I, I even said it to my parents who are up at the cottage with me too. I said it last night. My mom kind of looked at me. She's like, you're amazing. Like, how do you do this? And are you afraid? I said, I'm always afraid, mom. Like I, I'm afraid every time I do something new, like, but I'm afraid and I just do it anyways. And that's how you grow. You become competent. It's just by doing it and repeating it and just believing that you'll get there. And so I wanted to share that message with people that it's okay to be afraid. And the book has a lot of stories in it. It has some of my own personal stories, has stories from my work, has stories from my athletes at all different levels. And then I also incorporate, like we'll weave through um, new thinking, ways to change your mindset, coping strategies. So it's all kind of woven through there. And I think the stories, I think people will find them. I don't care who you are, or what walk of life you come from, you'll relate to, to one or this story or that story and you'll you'll connect with it. And then be able to sort of learn that you're not alone and here are some of the things that you can do to actually help. So that's where the book came from. And the process of writing the book 
was definitely a learning experience for me. Um, I could say at one point I thought it was like an epic failure. I had a publisher. Um, it was a new new venture for me. That's why I say breaking barriers. Like what did I know about writing a book, right? And I trusted somebody that maybe didn't really work out the way that it was supposed to. And I was kind of left at the last minute trying to figure out, well, what do I do with this book? Like I didn't want to continue with the publisher and have him own the rights to the book, but I was afraid. I was afraid, what was I going to do with this book on my own? I have no idea what to do with this. And I've worked so hard on it. Um, and, you know, it, for me, at the end was quite a bit of stress and I wasn't sleeping at night. And then it finally hit me. It finally hit me. The title of my book, like it, I had to take my own medicine and I wasn't going to be afraid anymore. I was afraid of what was going to happen with this publisher and what would I do on my own and what was he going to do? And he was going to, you know, lawyers are telling me you could get sued. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. And I realized it was the moment that I realized I was completely functioning from a place of fear. And when I finally recognized that and said, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And I followed my heart and what I believed to be the truth. And I figured it out again, and I, I self-published the book, and it's my own, and uh, it ended up being a great, great thing. That's amazing. And it's funny because, you know, I, I'm so, I think we are all like that. You know, we worry and we're fearful as we talked about, but that's like my, whenever I talk about writing, people are like, you should write a book. It's like, no, I like, I don't want to just give my story to someone for them to write it or for them to be like, we're editing this or we're going to do this. It's like, no, it has to be a certain way. Otherwise there's no point in doing it. Like to me, that's how I feel. doesn't mean that it's right or whatever, but I, it's like, it's, I put it off for that reason where it's like, well, I can't do it on my own. So, and I don't trust anybody. So it's just never going to happen. You know, that's right. But you can do it on your own. <laughs> Right. There's a famous quote, the one that says they can and the one that says they can't are both usually right. That's right. Yeah. Right? That's so, the language, right? The language we talk to ourselves. Right. And and even just in general, but mostly to ourselves, it's it's pretty profound and powerful, is it not? It is. I it, the, There's a few kind of ways I say, like, you got to understand the mind and kind of ways to hack the mind. And one of the biggest ones is the mind is listening to the words you speak the pictures you create, number one. And number two, it's going to do what it thinks you want it to do. So if you're sending the message that, oh, no, this is going to be too hard, I can't do it, if we think about all the negative stuff, well, your mind's going to do exactly what it thinks you want it to do, and it's going to find you a way to get the hell out of there, right? Like, yeah. Because by nature, we have a very old brain. We're just designed for survival and protection. But it doesn't understand, right, if you're really in danger or it's perceived danger, it's going to do the same thing, right? We have that fight or flight response, and mostly we just want to get, get out of there. So, yes, words are powerful. Speak the right words. Like if you want something, speak the right words. I, I, here's a little tip. I always say the power of yet. Like I can't do it if somebody's saying that. I don't like the word can't, but I can't do it yet. Oh, I like that. I'm not there yet. I haven't figured it out yet, right? Like the power of yet. It's a it's a big one. So I'm writing that down. Okay. <laughs> There's lots more in my book too, you'll find. Like I'm I'm really big on little taglines and things like that to help people, you know, remember it's just a new way of thinking. But uh speak the right words and create the right pictures and you will be amazed at what you can create.
Wow. I love it all. And I love everything that you've done and continue to do before I let you go. What, what are you up to these days? Like what's the future look like for you as things start to open up or what's yeah. like, what's your daily life look like? You have all this stuff going on. I know you're the, the president of uh, heads up or the mind gym and all of that, but how involved are you? Like, are you still seeing and talking to players or you kind of have a whole team around you now? Like, what does it look like for you? Yeah, so I do have a whole team around me. I have a good uh, support team. I have two assistants that kind of try and manage my life and keep me on track. And I have um, two assistants. Can two. you lend me one, please? <laughs> well, they're both part time. All I have is Siri. That's the only assistant I have is in my phone. I'm just Siri can be good sometimes. Um, yeah, so I have listens. They work on different sides. Like one of them works more on my online stuff. The other yeah. one works on my brick and mortar business. Um, I have three mental performance coaches that work underneath me. So I do have a practice, like a private practice where you can come and see me, but um, I take a select group of people. Of per course. But anybody coming into our company, I do all of the assessments because I get a pretty good read on people after that first appointment and I design out the programming. And then I have three other, um, we have, you know, someone that does much more mental health stuff and two mental performance coaches um, so they work underneath me and they see the majority of people. And then I'm working still with the Peter Rowe Peets and the uh, Arizona Coyotes just picked up my option year on my contract. So. Awesome. I didn't even want to ask. Yeah, yeah. Remember we talked about that. You're like, I don't know. Cause you know, the season I didn't, I wasn't even going to ask, um, but I'm so happy to hear that. Good for you. You deserve it. You led me with the right questions. So yeah. So I've, uh, going to continue on with them, which is really exciting. And also exciting is that they're really um, sort of giving me a platform for the first time to build out a complete mental wellness program. Wow. So, yeah, so that's really exciting for me. And um, it's, a, it's a new opportunity to start to do things differently. And I've really been preaching it for a long time, right? See, repetition is the master. If I drive people crazy enough, eventually somebody's going to listen to me. And um, so they are, you know, I talk about people, it's the people, we have to take care of our people, they're our biggest asset, and that's yeah. how we we'll perform, let's take care of the people. So I'm, I'm kind of innovating and building out uh, just new programming on mental wellness and mental performance and how we can best take care of our people so we can create an environment for them to thrive and become their best. So that's what I'm working on. Amazing, Brantley. Keep up the good work. And, you know, like that's I'm so glad to hear that um, for anyone out there. Check out uh, check out the website mentalgamecoaching.ca. And you can also find Brantley on Instagram at Bradley Shapiro, not Shapiro, at Bradley Shapiro, and at Heads Up MGC. I got that right? Yes, that's on Instagram. Heads Up MGC is the company uh, page, and at Bradley Shapiro, my page. You know, anybody, follow, give me a follow. I have great, like, you know, mental game messages and tips there, and shoot me a DM. I'm super open. I love hearing from everybody all the time. So There we go. I got, I got the on Instagram now. Just to just to clarify that, but um, you know, I'm sure we'll be in touch, and and hopefully one day soon I can come down and check out the the gym. You're located like where do you? I know you're you know close. You're you know I don't want to out you where you are, but you're fairly close to me. But where where are you located? Just you know on your day to day. You're in North York. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm in Thornhill, but Thornhill. our offices are in North York, like Spokane okay. Pond. 
Um, so it's a big hockey rink in yep. you know, real close to Yorkdale. Um, so usually, you know, you could find me there or I'm traveling, uh, but our company is there. So our offices are there. The Mind Gym is at Scotiabank Con. Um, and then, you know, I before COVID, I used to travel a tremendous amount. Um, but home is Toronto. And uh, I'd like to try and take a little bit of a break in the summer and get up north to Aurelia, which is uh, where my cottage is. And uh, I'm still working, but I try and slow it down a little bit. Like that's for my own mental health and mental wellness. Cause, yeah. and that, that's, yeah. I have to be really intentional with it. Cause I could just work all the time. So um, I try to come out here a little bit in nature, catch my breath and then hit the season hard in September. Well, thank you for taking some time on your vacation to <laughs> technically work and, and speak with me. I, I really appreciate your time because I know that, you know, you have a lot going on and you're also a keynote speaker and you do a lot of things and, um, you know, you're kind of highly sought after probably, you know, like that's how I see it. And so I feel very lucky to have you on the show and to call you a friend and can't wait to actually meet you in person, Brenly. It's, uh, you know, keep up the good work and there's probably not much I can do for you, but you know, if you ever need anything, I'm always here. Well, same goes to you too and keep doing what you're doing and spreading your message and your story and um, yeah I love what you're doing too so thanks for having me it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you Brenly we'll talk to you soon keep up the good work thanks bye that's Brenly Shapiro not Shapiro thank you Brenly uh, thank you to everybody who watched um, what an incredible episode I mean so many great insights and like I mentioned in the intro it's it's things that I wish that I would have had. I'm not going to sit here and and say I have any regrets, even though I, I hate to say that I don't have regrets because technically I'm lying, but I'm really trying to let that go. Um, you know, it's mostly just surrounding my kids is my regret. But, you know, it's always the what if, what if, what if, but what does that really do for us? Really? It, you know, I know for me, it just kept me struggling. Um, the positive side is that Brenly's out there making a difference for upcoming players, current players, non-hockey players, and she's making a huge, huge impact. And I'm just lucky that I've met her now at 34 years old because I'm learning from her too, and I can implement it in the things that I'm doing. Um, just want to get to one sponsor, our friends at Pride Tape. I'll come back and wrap it up. Thanks, Scott, for staying with me, guys. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, -E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Awesome. Thank you to my friends at PrideTape. We got some stuff in the works with Puck Support and PrideTape that I'm really excited about coming down the pipe next June. 
Uh, also, Curtis Gabriel in there, good friend of mine. He's coming back to join the show in a couple of weeks. Can't wait to connect with Curtis again. Sunday night, I'm very excited. Sheldon Surrey is joining the show. Longtime NHL D-man, former Kelowna Rocket, and also somebody who struggled with opiates like me. He's doing amazing now, and I can't wait to chat with him, have him on the show. He's going to share his story. Um, also got Scott Oak coming up. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. There's, I got quite a few amazing guests lined up. I think Ryan Johansson's going to join me next week as well. Haven't confirmed that yet, but it looks like possibly next Wednesday, Ryan Johansson from the Nashville Predators is going to be joining the show, which I'm really excited about. We grew up in the same kind of area. He's obviously a bit younger than I am. Uh, but, you know, just appreciate his support and always followed him closely, having been from the Tri-City area. If you want to support anything that I'm doing, you can follow me on social media, my personal page, at Mental Health Hockey. But more importantly, follow at Puck Support. You can check out our website, PuckSupport.com. If you want to get any of your swag... Like this shirt, we got new stuff coming in all the time. Uh, for my listeners, use promo co- code SAVE20%. One word, I'll throw it up at the end. And uh, that that promo code is going to stay open for, for my listeners for, I guess, we'll say another week. So appreciate all you guys who are out there repping puck support from the bottom of my heart. I, it just, I, I, again, I, I could have never believed, I could have never believed um, that I would have been able to do the things that I've done. And I haven't done anything great. It's just, I was doing so many things wrong and making so many bad decisions and had absolutely no hope. And here I am today, 17 months clean. I've started this organization with, you know, help from quite a few people. But when I see people wearing puck support, like, you know, and I, I see them showing the names. I got my boy Mitch Fadden in this hat. Rest in peace, Mitch, my line mate from Norfolk, a guy I battled minor hockey and played against in Western Hockey League. He was my roommate in Norfolk. You know, I was thinking about Mitch today. I was listening to a song and thinking about it. I was just before the podcast, I had tears coming down my face just wishing that I could just talk to him one more time and reminisce about the time we spent, you know, in Norfolk and the, the crazy times, the stupid things we did, the laughs we had, the fun on the ice, all of that. And just to know that I can never see him again, it just breaks my heart, you know, and that we've lost way too many individuals. But if you're new to the show, all of our merchandise has an in memory of one of those that we've lost either in the hat or tucked away in the shirt on the inside. So that's how we honor those that we've lost. I feel very, very, very lucky that I'm here, that I'm still breathing, that I still have the gift of life. I don't take it for granted. I wake up every day with a grateful heart, knowing that I'm very, very, very lucky to be where I'm at and to just be alive. So everything I do is in memory of all of those that we've lost. I'm rollerblading across Canada next spring, May 28th, 
2022 in Newfoundland, kicking it off with my buddy Terry Ryan. And every stride along the way will be in memory of those that we've lost and for all those who continue to struggle. I know I still struggle every single day, guys. If I sat here and told you that I don't struggle, I struggle every single day. But I know it's never bad enough to go back to the life that I was living. Some days are better than others. That's just the reality of life. Nothing will ever be perfect. Nothing will ever go as planned. Still have a hard time dealing with that. But knowing that I don't have to turn to substances anymore, it feels pretty damn good. And I just encourage anybody out there, if you're struggling with mental illness or addiction or both, get the help that you need and deserve. It doesn't have to be somebody else's idea of help. But just start reaching out. Sharing what's going on with you is the first step. You know, knowing that you're not alone. You don't have to face it on your own. There are people out there that care and will support you no matter how far down you've gone. And if you think that's a lie... I am a prime example. Look at how people have rallied around me. I am so lucky and grateful for all of that support. But it took me taking some steps and initiative. It's not like I just woke up one day and it was like, oh, hey, I I built this life. No, it took being vulnerable and struggle and perseverance and getting, getting knocked down, getting back up. If I can do it, you can do it. I promise you that. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. Press that like button. Tell your friends about it. Rate and review the show. That's how we do things around here. If you're watching on Facebook, please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. I would love to just be on YouTube and to grow the YouTube channel. It's so hard. I don't really know how to do it, but that is a dream. So if we can all get over to YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Press like, press subscribe, share this with your friends, share it on your Facebook, press share if you liked it. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The last word in memory of Carter Schoonerward. Thinking of the family, rest in peace, Carter. He's up here, he'll be on the wall behind me forever. He'll never ever be forgotten. I hope to see you guys Sunday night when retired NHLer Sheldon Surrey joins the show. I'm really excited. 8 p.m. Eastern, same bat time, same bat cha- channel. Let's try that again. Same bat time, same bat channel. See, if you first you don't succeed, try, try again. Get back up, try it again. Stay kind, be grateful, and remember... Have a great day, if you so choose. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info.
Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrameFit on Instagram. I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going. 